chapter 34 of the book of Exodus. And if you guys remember last week we left off um, again with the Lord now speaking again to Moses as he's there uh, up on, 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 on Mount Sinai for the second time. Remember the first time that, that Moses went up there to Mount Sinai to talk with the Lord, uh, they were interrupted. Their conversation and their fellowship was interrupted by the sin of the people. Because as Moses was up there talking to, to the Lord and just, man, just uh, basking in his presence and his glory, all of a sudden the Lord said, hey Moses, you got to get down there because the people are acting crazy. And as Moses went down the hill, he found, uh, he found the people worshiping this, uh, this golden calf that, that Aaron had molded together for them. Right, so uh, Moses had to go down there, crack the whip, uh, correct the people. A lot of people died because of their sin unto the Lord that, uh, that day. And we're told that, that the Lord called Moses to go back up into the mountain with God. And, and, and we see that, that God continued to speak to Moses, continued to give him instructions concerning the priesthood, concerning the people, concerning the law, concerning uh, uh, the, the, the different articles and the different uh, things that were to be used in the tabernacle of God. And so, as Moses is there speaking with, with God up in the mountain, we're told this there in chapter, tw- and, sorry, sorry, chapter 34, verse 29. It says, Now it was so, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone white when he talked, when he talked with him, with God. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face was shining, and they were afraid to come near him. And then Moses called to them, uh, and, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. And it says, verse 32, Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them uh, as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with them on Mount Sinai. And so as Moses is talking, is up there in the mountain with God, he's just, he, he, he's spending time with the Lord. He's receiving instructions from God. He receiving, he's receiving the second uh, copy now of, of, of the Ten Commandments, the two tablets of stone. And we're told that as Moses was up there speaking to the Lord, as he was coming down the mountain, Moses didn't realize that his face was shining. Now, that, that, that word right there, shining in the Hebrew, it literally means that there was beams of light radiating from his skin. So it was a, a literal shining. Right? And, and Moses did it was something supernatural obviously that, that was going on and Moses didn't realize it and so as he was walking down the mountain man the people were terrified I would be terrified to think about that imagine if I just show up all of a sudden my face is just glowing 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 to the point that you gotta go like whoa because these beams are just radiating from my face that's what Moses that's what, that's what was happening to Moses and so we're told that the people were, were, were afraid they were terrified and Moses had to call them back to, to himself and so they didn't know what, what they were looking at, but Moses didn't know that his face was different. Catch this. That, that spending time with God changed Moses' appearance, changed Moses' demeanor. And for us too, people could tell it, it, when you've been spending time with the Lord. Uh, my wife can tell when I've been spending time with the Lord. When she says, she, we have a little joke and she's like, oh, you're nice. You've been, you've been your word or you've been praying or you've been... You know, uh, you've been spending time with the Lord. She could tell, and, and it's true. We say it jokingly, right? But, but but really, it's true because she knows that 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 when I've been spending time with the Lord, I'm like quick to get angry. I'm like I'm like a, a short fused. I'm I'm you know I, I snap quickly. I mean, she knows. She she could tell. Like, oh, you've been spending time with the Lord, right? And and, and really, as we spend time with the Lord, it should change our appearance. Maybe not the way we dress and, and physically the outwardly, but really uh, uh, our demeanor, right? The way we act. The way we, we perceive things in the world, the way we maybe uh, are towards others, uh, the way maybe even we're towards ourselves. I find that as I spend time with, with the Lord, it's like 
all of a sudden, all these things that plague me, you know, all these worries, all these anxieties, all these things, man, all of a sudden the Lord gives me His peace. That Philippians 4, uh, a 6 through 7 type, type, type of piece where it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. Let your, your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And I find that as I'm spending time with the Lord, my demeanor changes. Right? Maybe I'm not like Moses, where people can just tell, boom, man, this guy's radiating uh, beams of light from his face. But, you know, we're radiating the light of Christ to others. And maybe it's not something that can be seen tangibly. But people notice. People notice it. I, I was talking to some guy yesterday. I was doing some work at a, after work. I was doing some side work at a, at a house out there in Norwalk. I'm doing some electrical work. And I'm right there working. And, and there's a towel guy doing the restroom too. And we're just talking. I'm not, I'm not preaching to him or anything. But, uh, but all of a sudden we're talking. He, just, he stops and he's like, hey, by any chance, are you religious? And I, I'm like, I'm a Christian. Man. You know, I, I'm not religious. But you know, it's hard to explain to someone who doesn't believe. I'm like, I'm not a Christian. I'm not, I'm not religious. But you know, I, I love God, man. I have faith. And uh, I, I tell him, I'm a Christian, you know, I love Jesus. He's like, yeah, he's, uh, he's like, yeah, he's, he's, and he goes on to tell me, he's like, I don't know what it is, but lately, he says, I feel like uh, I've been running into a lot of Christians, and I can tell you guys are Christian because of the way you speak. He says, for some reason, he says, your words are very beautiful, right? And, and, and we were talking about electricity. <laughs> he was asking me about electricity, and I was telling him, you know, uh, I, I don't know what the conversation was about, but I know I was talking about electricity, right, as I was working, and all of a sudden, he, he talks me, he stops me, he says, hey, man, there's something about you. I can tell you're a Christian. Right? And this isn't to puff, me, to puff me up. But but what I'm saying is that just as Moses was up in the mountain and he came down, he didn't Moses didn't realize that there was beams of light radiating from his face. But spending time with, with God will do that. You know, where, where, where people will notice, man, there's something about you. Right? In a sense, like they'll recognize like, man, there's something different about this person. Right? And, and spending time with the Lord sure change uh, what other how others perceive us. Just like, like, just like it changed the way the children of Israel were perceiving Moses. But Moses said this. He says this in verse 32. It says, Afterward, all the children of Israel came near. And he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. In verse 33. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face or a covering on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with, with God, he would take the veil off. Until he came out. And he would come out and then speak to the children of Israel. Whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses. That the skin of Moses shone. Then Moses would put on the veil on his face again. Until he went in to speak with them. And so as Moses. Again uh, 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 his face was shining for a while. And we're told that, that every time that, 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 that Moses was in the presence of the people. He would put a covering over his face. A veil. And then we, when he would go up to the mountain. Talk to, and talk to the Lord. He would take it off. Right, he would unveil himself before the Lord. And then he would go back down and talk to the people. And he would again, he would put that veil again. Now, by reading this, you know, we can come to the assumption that, that Moses was protecting the people from that radiance, right? From that glory, from seeing that, 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 that shine of God's glory on Moses' face. Right? But interesting that the Apostle Paul has something to say about this. And the Apostle Paul comments on this very, uh, this very instance. There in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, if you would turn your Bibles with me there. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to go ahead and read it for you. Beginning there in verse, in verse 7, it says, But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, he says, verse 8, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? 
And so uh, Paul begins, uh, as, he, as he's writing this letter to, to, to the church there at Corinth, right? That verse before there in verse 6, at the end of that verse he says, For, it says, not the, it says, For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Uh, uh, referring to the, the, the letter of the law, or that, that written law that was given to the children of Israel. And, and Paul says about this written law that was given to the children of Israel, those, those Ten Commandments on the tablets of stone. He says, he calls it the ministry of death. He says, if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones, which is those Ten Commandments, if that was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory is passing away, how will this ministry of, of the Spirit not be more glorious? And so Paul, in, in, in referring to the, the written law that was written on those stones that, 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 that Moses brought down to the children of Israel, he called it the ministry of death. And rightfully so, because the law was meant to show us our shortcomings, right? And so, and so you can call it the ministry of death. Not that it was uh, not good. The law was good. And Paul would say later on in the book of Romans, he says, it's not that the law, is, it's not that, that, that there's fault with the law, but there's fault within us because we can't keep the law because we're sinful. And so Paul would say, hey, the law is perfect. The law is glorious. Those Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not commit fornication, thou shalt not uh, 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 lie, uh, all these different things. The law of God is good. We're sinful because we can't keep it. Why? Because, because of the sinful nature in us. And so Paul calls it the ministry of death. Why? Because this law is showing us how far we fall from keeping it and, and, and what's deserving to us is death. Right? He would say later on in the book of Romans, he would say that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And so Paul is referring to this, the law, that, 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 this written law on the tablets of stone as a ministry of death. But he says this, he says, it was glorious. It was something good. He says, it was so glorious that Moses' face was shining as he brought them down from the mountain. And he says this, he says, it is ministry of death. The law was glorious, so glorious that the Moses' face was shining. He says, how much more now uh, this ministry of the Spirit be more glorious? Right? Speaking about the new covenant, the new law. He says this in verse 9. For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, again talking about the law, then the ministry of righteousness, which is the new covenant by the blood of Jesus Christ, he says, then the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. So he says, hey, this ministry of death was also a ministry of condemnation. Why? Because it condemned us as sinners. Because it was like a measuring stick, right? Where God's perfect law, we come up, we stand next to it, and we see how much we don't uh, <laughs> reach up to it. Right? How, how, how short we come uh, in compared to, to God's glorious measuring stick. And Paul says, hey, it's a ministry of death. It's a ministry of condemnation, of condemnation but it's glorious. He says, and so how much more this ministry of the Spirit, right, be uh, even, even more, it says, exceedingly much more in glory. And so it's not that there's something wrong with the law, right? But again, the law is meant to show us how much we need Christ because we can't fulfill it. And we were never meant to fulfill it. That's the thing. It goes on to say here, he says in verse 10, For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. So he says, man, he says, even this glorious written law that was given to the children of Israel, he says, in comparison to this new ministry, this new, this, this new law, this new law was given, that is the, the, the law of, of Christ, which is his sacrifice on the cross. 
He says, man, he says, this old law in, compare, in comparison to the New Covenant, the New Testament, he says, man, he says, it's like nothing in comparison to the New Testament, in, in comparison to, 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 this, to this New Covenant. Right? Verse 11. For if what is passing away was glorious, then what remains is much more glorious. Right? Meaning, hey, the Lord gave us the law, and that was glorious, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't complete. He says, the law was pointing to Christ. Christ would say, uh, would say later on of himself that, that he is the fulfillment of all this law. And so he says, hey man, that law, that Old, that old Testament law, it was passing away. But what remains, meaning what, 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 what Christ says is, is much more glorious. Verse 12, therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. And in verse 13, notice this, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end, at the end of what was passing away and so Paul says this Paul says you, Paul says referring to, to, to Exodus chapter 34 he says Moses put that veil on his face not to protect the children of Israel from the glory of God that was shining from his face but, but, but Moses put this veil over his face to hide the fading glory of his face right and so it's like Moses was, didn't want the children of Israel to see that this law of God being so glorious being so perfect was fading away maybe Moses didn't understand it. maybe Moses couldn't comprehend how this glorious law, you know, couldn't keep this, couldn't keep the shining glory forever. But Moses, Moses recognized that, that 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 the shining of his face was fading slowly, right? And so when he was in the presence of the people, he didn't want them to see that the glory of the covenant, that the glory of the law, was fading right before their eyes. But yet, this is the idea that that that, that like I was trying to portray to his people all along that this old covenant, though perfect, though glorious, the glory of it was fading. Why? Because it was making way for a new covenant. That covenant of blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. And so again, Paul goes on to say, he says, Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses. Moses didn't have this boldness, right? He had to cover his face to, to hide the, the fading glory of, 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 of Old Testament, of the law. Right? That's not boldness, right? Whenever, whenever you have to cover yourself to come before somebody, that's not boldness. Right? I came, we came in, we got to church, we opened the door, and he said, hi, Mark and GJ. Hey, what's up, guys? We come here with boldness. I don't have to hide myself away. Oh, hey, how's it going, guys? Right? Because there's no shame. Under the, under the new covenant, under, under the new testament, under that covenant made by, made by blood, there's no shame. No matter what we've done. Right? Why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ washes and cleanses us of all sin. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the former things have passed away, and all is made new. And therefore, we have no reason to be shameful in the presence of God, in the presence of each other. Why? Because we know we've been forgiven. We know even though we've messed up bad, even already being believers, right? the Lord doesn't see us as, as that. And the Bible says that, that the Lord doesn't account our, our, our mistakes to us. Once we've been washed, once we've been made new, we make mistakes. We throw them at each other's face, right? But, but, but the Lord doesn't do that. You know, once we've been, once we've been cleansed and washed by, by, by the blood of His Son, then the Lord wipes away our slate clean, and He sees us as as righteous as Jesus forever, even though we fall short every single day. That's amazing, and that's why Paul says, "Hey, we have this hope, right?" And we use great boldness in this hope. Why we should? The writer of the book of Hebrews would say, "Hey, therefore." He says, come before the throne of grace with boldness to find mercy and help in time of need. Right? And, and the glory of this New Testament, the glory of the new law, the glory of the new covenant made by, made by blood is that, is that there is no fading. Right? It's eternal. The law given to Moses was fading. There, that's why he had to cover his face to hide that fading glory. He didn't want the people to see it. 
but the but, but the covenant under under Jesus it's eternal, it's perfect, and it's forever. And so he says again now in verse fourteen he says, but their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. And so Paul, talking about the the the, the Jews who who had not. Uh, who their eyes have not been opened to this to this new glory, this unveiling. He says, "Hey, he says, hey, even even to this day, he says that same veil remains unlifted in, in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ." He says, "Amen." Those who are holding to the Old Testament, he's like, it's like it's like they're walking around with that veil over their over their face still, right? that fading glory, right? Because they haven't come to that recognition that of that of that perfect glory in Christ. Of that perfect covenant in Christ. He says, even when they read Moses, he says, the veil lies not on their eyes, not on their face, but notice, on their heart. Why? Because they can't, they, Paul is speaking about the Jews of that day, because they can't come to that comprehension that Christ is a fulfillment of the Old Testament law. But I would say that not just the Jews, but a lot of people out here. Right? There's a lot of people who, who, who walk around with veiled hearts, with veiled eyes, veiled faces, to the glory of the Lord. Why? Because for whatever reason, uh, well, Paul would tell us later on that 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 that, that the devil Satan that he would that, that, that he blinds them, and so they're walking around veiled. They're not they're not able to see the the, the the eternal glory of Christ for whatever reason. Again, I was talking to this guy yesterday when I was working, and and he ended up being an atheist. Well, he claims to be an atheist, right? But as we were talking, he was saying, "Hey, you sound like a Christian. Hey, I've been running to a lot of Christians." He's started asking me, "Well, why do you believe?" And I kind of, as soon as he asked me, I kind of figured that he was skeptical or something. I knew where he was coming from, right? Told him why I believe and all that. And I asked him, well, what about you, bro? Where do you stand? He says, I don't believe in God. Now, why not? He says, uh, he says, because, you know, if God was so good, then why would all this suffering, you know, happen? He says, and I had a bad experience with, with, uh, with Roman Catholicism as I was a kid. He says, well, I don't trust religion. I don't trust God. He says, and plus, science proves that, that, that there isn't a God. And it's like, man, I'm like, thank you, Lord, because I love those conversations, right? I don't get mad, right? And he, even afterwards, he was surprised. Like, hey, bro, he says, I'm surprised you didn't, you didn't get mad. He says, usually I talk to Christians about this, and they get all fired up, man, and they get all heated. I'm like, hey, bro, he says, we're just talking. You know, but I was able to graciously just, uh, you know, point him to Christ, point him to the, point to the Lord, uh, <laughs> point him, you know, to the fact that science proves that there is a God. And at the end of the conversation, he ended up saying, well, I'm not sure what I believe in. He says, maybe I do believe in God. I'm not sure. He says, I just don't believe that's a God that, uh, that, that's portrayed out there. I'm like, all right, you're getting closer. And that's that. that right? when, the, when the Lord gives you, a, uh, when the Lord cracks the door open, don't try to barge in there. All right, man. Let the person open the door themselves. You know? Sometimes we do that. When we go out evangelize, we're talking to somebody, a family member, a loved one, a co-worker about Christ. And you see that little, that, that, all right, this, you see him barely peeking out the door like this, talking to you, and you want to, Pry the door open and man, it, you, you, you damage the person more. So instead, I left that at that and I said, "Hey, bro, well, hopefully I see you again. And we can have uh, we can have a conversation." But but I, my, my, the point is this: that his, his his eyes, right, his heart was veiled, but it wasn't because of it wasn't because of the law, it wasn't because of the Lord, but it was because of something else. And Paul says, "Hey, man, a lot of people they they, they read the Old Testament, they're, they're reading the law, and their hearts are veiled still. Why? Because they can't come to that full knowledge of of of, of Christ." He says, in verse seventeen. He says, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or there is freedom. Now when Paul says that there in verse 17, it could be translated, now the Lord 
is the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is the Lord. Paul is equating the same deity to the Holy Spirit as to Jesus, as to God the Father. He says, hey, the Lord is the Holy Spirit. Meaning, hey, God is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, right? There's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's They're one, three and one. He says, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty. Specifically speaking about that freedom to come to Christ. Specifically talking about that boldness, right? That freedom to come to His glory. He says, verse 18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And so he says, hey, he says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom to come to that glory. Right? Why? Because now the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Moses, when, when he would, uh, Moses, when he would, remember, we're told that there in Exodus chapter 34, that when he would come to meet with the Lord there up in the mountain, we're told that he would unveil his face. Right? He would only unveil his face when he was in the presence of God up in the mountain. But Paul is saying, hey, all of us, we're walking around with unveiled faces in the presence of God. Why? Because the, the Holy Spirit, the Lord dwells inside of us. And so we're in the presence of God at all times. That's amazing. That's amazing that the Bible would teach that, that the Spirit of the living God, the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, dwells inside of us. That's heavy. Right? We may not feel like it sometimes, but it's true. Right? I may not feel like it. I may not act like it sometimes. But if the Bible says it's true, if God's Word says it's true, then, then that means that it's true. And so Paul says, he says, hey, Moses had to unveil his face when he was in the presence of God and then veil his face again when he was in the presence of the people. But us, he says, we walk around with unveiled faces. Right? We're beholding as like in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And, and, and we're being transformed into that same image from glory to glory. And what Paul is saying is that process of sanctification. Because all of us, he says, as we just wa are walking around the presence of God with, with no shame, right? with, 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 with full assurance, with boldness, with unveiled faces, he says we're also being transformed into that same image of the Lord from glory to glory. And, and, and what Paul's talking about now is that sanctification process that happens in every single believer. Right? If you've committed your life to Christ, then, then believe that, that just like Paul, Paul would say that he who began a good work in you, he's faithful to complete it. Right? I'm so glad that, 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 that the completion doesn't depend on me, doesn't depend on us. Because right? I, have, I have so many unfinished projects. I started working on our restroom at home and right? we still haven't finished it. Our backyard, hey, we still haven't finished. I have all kinds of projects around the city, or electrical projects, I still haven't finished. And I'm glad I'm not Jesus. All right? I'm, not, I'm glad I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm glad I'm not God. I'm glad that the work that is in me isn't dependent upon myself. And the work that God began in you is not dependent on you. You just keep walking with the Lord. You just keep fellowshiping with God. You just keep on abiding in Christ. And He will finish the work. Don't compare your life to another believer. Don't compare your progress, quote-unquote progress, in, in your Christian walk to another believer. Hey, he who began a good work in you, that's the Lord. He's faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And so Paul says, us too, we're being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Right? And so, going back to Exodus chapter 34, as, again, as, as it goes on to say there in verse 34, I'm read again, it says, but whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he, when he would come out to speak to the children of Israel, whatever he had been commanded, and whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' his face shone, 
Then Moses would put on the veil of his face again until he went to speak with God. So again, Moses was hiding the fact that his glory was fading. He didn't understand that, that, that. He didn't understand why it was fading. Right? Now chapter 35, it says, Then Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said to them, These are the words which the Lord has commanded you to do. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath of the rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire throughout your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Now, now, I want to point out to you what it says there in verse 2. As Moses is giving instructions to the children of Israel, he says, Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh shall be a holy day. Why? Because this is something between God and the people. It has nothing to do with us. Right? I know there's a lot of uh, groups out there who would try to trip you up and say, Oh, you're a Christian? What kind of Christian are you? When do you go to church? Do you go to church on Sunday or Saturday? And they will say Sunday, they're like, oh, no, you're worshiping on the wrong day. Sunday is, 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 a, is a day that's dedicated to the sun god, and therefore you're, you're worshiping a pagan deity, and you're wrong. You should be worshiping on Saturday, because Saturday, Saturday is, is a Sabbath. And there's all kinds of you know, different schools of thought right there, and people would like to trip you up and, 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 and bring you back to the law. right? But notice that, that, that this law wasn't meant for us. It's not meant for the Christians. He says it was a law concerning God and the children of Israel. God and his people that's the people as a nation right not those who are redeemed Paul would say later on in the book of Colossians 8 he says don't let no one trip you up about feast days about special days about moon days about Sabbaths why because Christ is the fulfillment of all those things right but, but there would be some people who would love to take you back to the law and put you back in bondage to the law and put you back in bondage to the keeping of the law which we can't do we can't keep the law right that's why Christ died on the cross because He kept it for us. And, and now as we just believe on Him, believe in Him and, and on what He did, it's like, hey, now that righteousness of the law fulfilled is applied to us. But sometimes again, people would love to drag you back to the law. And, and it's like a double-edged sword. It's like, it's like David when, when, he, when he spoke to, 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 to the prophet Nathan after David had committed sin with Bathsheba. You're familiar with the story? Right, he, he sent out Bathsheba's uh, husband to war. It was in the time where the king should be doing, doing war that, that David stood behind. And as he stood behind, he saw a young lady bathing, Bathsheba. Right, he, he, he committed a, a, a fornication, adultery with her. And then we're told that, that he had her, her husband killed to cover up his sin. And later on, the prophet Nathan would go up to David. Nathan already knowing what, what had happened. He would tell David, hey, David. There was uh, one of your neighbors, man. Uh, one of the people in the in the city. They had they had their their, their own uh, beautiful flocks and lambs and and sheep. And, and and this guy, man, in the city, he took his neighbor's only sheep, right? And he killed his neighbor. And then and then and the prophet Nathan tells David, "What should we do to such a man?" And David and David said, "I kill that guy. He's horrible. We gotta get rid of this guy." And Nathan said, "You're the guy." And, and, and that's what it's like when people try to drag it back to keep into the law. Right? They say, you got to keep this law, you got to keep this law. And, and they don't recognize that they themselves are not keeping that, that same law that they're, proclaiming, that they're trying to force you to keep. It's a double-edged sword. Right? And so, again, the, the, the law was this, specifically the law right here was, was given to the children of Israel. We're not under bondage of it. Right? And whenever you try to put yourself back in bondage to keeping the law, and whenever you, 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 you judge your righteousness and you're standing before Christ uh, 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 based on your dependence on keeping the law, hey man, you're going to fall short. Why? Right? Because it's that double-edged sword. And so it goes on to say there in verse 4, it says, 
And Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take from, take from among you an offering to the Lord. He says, Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet, thread, fine linen, and goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins and acacia wood, oil for the light and spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense, onyx stones and stones will be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And so, as Moses is taking this, this, this offering now for the, for the things concerning the tabernacle, notice what the Lord tells him. He says, take from among you an offering to the Lord. From who? He says, from whoever is of a willing heart. Let him bring it. Notice that the Lord didn't demand the people's possessions. But he says, hey, whoever, whoever is willing in their heart to bring it freely, hey, let him bring it. Right? That's the only sacrifice, that's the only service that the Lord will, will accept is one from a willing heart. Not out of obligation, not out of a forcefulness, but hey, out of a willing heart. Right? If I came here tonight and every and Sunday and whenever we do, 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 do our things, if I came because God is forcing me to do it and say, I have to do this because, man, they're expecting me to do this, right? People are, hey, man, God's, God would say, you know, just stay home because <laughs> whatever you do doesn't count. Right? The only sacrifice that the Lord accepts is that of a free will offering. Whether it's money, whether it's possessions, whether it's time, whether it's service, whatever it may be. Right? The Lord would say, if you're doing it with a grudging heart, just don't do it. It's like your works are being burned up and they mean nothing. It has to be of a willing heart. And he says, verse 10, all those who are gifted artisans among you shall come and make all that the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tent, its covering, its clasps, its boards. He didn't go on to just uh, a whole list of utensils there. So skip down to verse 20. And he says, And all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And notice this, verse 21. Then everyone came whose heart was stirred, and everyone whose spirit was willing. And they brought, they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all its service, and for the holy garments. They came both men and women, as many as had a willing heart. And they brought earrings and nose rings, and rings and necklaces and jewelry of gold. That is, every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord. And every man with whom was found blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine linen, goat's hair, red skins, of rams, badger skins. They brought them. Okay, notice that. It says, everyone came whose heart was stirred. As the people were just watching what the Lord was doing, their hearts was, were stirred to give. Both men and women. You know, it, it was the Holy Spirit stirring up their hearts. And that's what caused them to give. Right? Now, again, going, going back to, to, to that service and that offering that the Lord accepts, it's only one of a willing heart. That's what the Lord accepts. Nothing out of obligation. Not because I, I'm asking you to do it, because He's asking you to do it, because they're asking you to do it, because the church is asking you to do it. Okay, anything we give to the Lord should be out of a willing heart. Right? The Lord says, hey man, if, if you're going to give it grudgingly, He says, just don't even give it, man. Just don't even do it. Because it means nothing. And so, everyone whose heart was stirred, and they began to just, hey, to give, to serve. And really, that's kind of like double-edged sword in ministry because obviously every church has needs. And every church has ministries uh, to be fulfilled, right? But, but, but there's, that, there's that thin line, you know, when, when uh, well, for me at least, there's that thin line in, 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 in when it comes to ministry because, man, I would want to just say, hey, can you do this, can you do that, can you do that? And, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll say that, but I never want to force anyone to do something that God is not calling them to do. Why? Because my, my desire is that it will come out of, it, out of the Holy Spirit's stirring the hearts of the believers. Because you know what? 
and I'm just watching what's going on. I'm watching the Lord work, and I'm stirred up to do something. And so that's what, that's what was happening there amongst the children of Israel. And goes on to say in verse 24, it says, Everyone who offered an offering of silver, bronze, uh, brought the Lord's offering, and everyone who, who was found acacia wood for any work of the service brought it. And all the women who were gifted artisans spun yarn with their hands and brought what they had, spun of blue, purple, scarlet, fine linen. And all the women whose hearts uh, stirred with wisdom spun yards, yarns of goat hair. And they brought uh, onyx stones and stones to be set and spices and oil. And the children of Israel brought a freewill offering. And all the men and women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work, which, which the Lord, by the hand of Moses, had commanded to be done. Again, I think what stands out during this chapter is, hey, that willing heart. That willing heart. I think the Lord's trying to get a, a point across to, 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 to all of us. Hey, whatever you do, do it out of a willing heart. That's what the Lord wants. That's what the Lord accepts. Right? So I'm not going to grill that anymore. That's what it says in the Word. It says, All the men and women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work, which, which the Lord, by the hand of Moses, had commanded to be done. And then it says this in verse 30. It says, And Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, and the son of Hur, and of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God. In wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all manner of workmanship to design artistic works to work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting jewels for setting and, and carving wood and and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship and he has put in his heart the ability to teach and him and Aholiah the son of uh, Ismael of the tribe of Dan it says he has filled them with the skill to do all manner of work of the engraver and the designer and the tapestry maker in blue, purple, scarlet thread and fine linen and of the weaver. This is those who do every work and those who design artistic work. And so now uh, the, 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 the Lord calls two men by name, Bezela and, and uh, Aholiah. And it says that the Lord put in them the spirit to do this workmanship. I love that because God put in these guys the spirit of wisdom to work with their hands. I love that for us guys, you know, who work with our hands or we're out there, uh, not, not that there's any, I'm not knocking this specific type of work, but, but, but it's like, man, to those who are out there getting their hands dirty and who are not maybe, you know, like, uh, aren't doing anything else, but specifically those who are out there working with their hands, uh, uh, I mean, active, right? I says, hey, man, you could ask the Lord to give you that spirit of wisdom and He will. Sometimes I feel like in my trade, like the Lord blesses me and, and, and it gives me a special, uh, uh, understanding of what I do so I can teach others and, and, and I read this and I think yeah it's true you know so in your line of work I encourage you I, I dare you to pray and say Lord give me wisdom in my line of work help me to be uh, the best in what I do so it could be so it could be a, as an offering unto you and the Lord will bless you the Lord will give you wisdom above your co-workers and he'll make you stand out to the point where people will say man that guy's different and he just man, he just gets it Right? And you'll be able to give God the glory. And notice that it says that he put in, him, in his heart the ability to teach also. And when it comes to ministry and when it comes to anything that, that, that we do, again, that there's always that emphasis on discipleship. Right? And there's always that emphasis on teaching someone else. And that's what the Lord would desire. Right? Is that when we would teach someone else as well, that we would raise up someone else. I've said it before that if... if, if if this ministry can't get this ministry, Calvary Chapel City Terrace can't continue because I'm not here, then I have failed. Why? Because I have failed to raise someone up to take over. Right? If everything that goes on here is dependent on me being here, then I'm a miserable failure. Why? Because I have failed to raise up laborers for the work of the ministry. And, and, and so for us in our ministries, man, if, 
if, if, if your ministry can't continue, if you're not there, then you fail. Right? And this isn't to be harsh, this isn't to come down on anyone, but this is more of an encouragement. Hey, we got, we're to pour into others. We're to pour into others. Why? So that the ministry can, can continue. So that the ministry is not dependent on us and the work won't, doesn't have to stop. Right? And so I encourage you guys, man, if the Lord has called you to do something, hey, all, as you're working into the Lord, always seek to also raise someone else up. I, I find myself now in this, in, this, uh, in this season of ministry and I'm like, giving stuff away, giving like, I mean, giving responsibilities away, giving like, works away. Hey, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Why? Because I don't want evangelism, the teaching ministry, the men's ministry, all these things to be dependent on me. Well, let's see what Angel says. Let's see if Angel can make it or not. I said, no, man. The work continues whether I'm here or not. The work is going to continue whether you're here or not. Why? Because Jesus said this. He says, Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so it's the Lord doing the work. But He uses us as we raise up other men and women. And so He says, Now there in verse 36, He says, And Bezalel and Aholiab and every gifted artisan in whom the Lord has put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary shall do according to all that the Lord has commanded. And then Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every gifted artisan in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, everyone whose heart was stirred to come and to do the work. And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of the making of the sanctuary. So they continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning. And so as Moses was receiving the people's offerings for the work of the ministry, for the, for the building of the tabernacle and all these things, he says, hey, every morning Moses will go out and the people will bring things out. All right, he never demanded it, demanded it of them, but they would just give. In verse 4, then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he, from the work he was doing. And they spoke to Moses saying... The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. And so Moses gave a commandment and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp saying, Let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing or from giving. For the material that they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, it was too much. And so it got to the point that the people's hearts were so stirred up. They just gave and gave and gave to the point where it was just too much. They had given so much that, man, uh, God had provided for His work in abundance. And Moses had to put a stop to it. And told, and he had to tell everyone, all right, guys, no more giving because we have way more than enough. I love this. I love this, right? Because it is something that, that us as Calvary Chapel, it's something that, 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 that it's one of the pillars that we stand on. Right? It's one of our, 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 our philosophies of ministry. It's like, hey, we're, how Pastor Chuck would say, we're God guides. God provides. Meaning that if God is in this work, then it's God's work, it's God's church, it's God's ministry. We're just laborers. But if it's God's ministry, if it's God's work, and, it's, and, and if it's God's uh, uh, a church, then He's going to provide for His own work. He's going to provide for His own ministry. He's going to provide for His own church. And so where God guides, God provides. If it's a God, He's in it. He's going to provide everything that we need. And we see it happening. Why? We've been here for a year and a half. We've never had to ask anyone for money. We never had to go out there and do fundraisers. We never had to go out there and, and you know put on campaigns and hey man we're we're planning a church in City Terrace. We got hey the Lord just 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 provided how well through many different ways, but also through the stirring of the people's hearts to give, whether it's time, finances, uh, physical things like a building, all kinds of things. Right? Hey, because if it's God's in it, then God's gonna provide for His own work. 
And so Moses had to put a stop to the giving. Say, hey guys, all right, it's too much, man. We have we have way too much stuff. Thank you for your for your offering. And he goes on to say, then all the gifted artisans among them who worked on the tabernacle, and says that they made ten curtains woven five linen of blue, purple, scarlet thread with artistic designs of cherubim. They made them. And the next few verses kind of just uh, they go into detail about the various different things that were that were made. Uh, so I'm just going to kind of just uh, just skim through them. And, and so among all those things that were made, we're told that that uh, that, that that they made uh, five curtains uh, that that were. Uh, coupled to one another uh, They made loops on, for the curtains uh, The curtains were made of goat's hair Verse 14 uh, The length of each curtain was 30 cubits And the width of the curtain was, was 11 It was the same size We're told that they were coupled together They also made 50 bronze clasps to, to couple the tent together And then we're told also that For the tabernacle he made boards of acacia wood Verse 20 Standing upright And that the length of each board was 10 cubits The width of each board was, was, a, was a cubit and a half we're also told that he made 40 sockets of silver uh, to go under the 20 boards. We're told also there in, in verse 30 that there were eight boards on, on, on their two sockets, each under each board. They were all made of acacia wood. And then we're told in verse 34 that he made a veil of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. And we're told that it was worked with an artistic design of cherubim, which are a type of angel. The Bible talks of, about, about, uh, about three types of angels that, that we know of that the Bible talks about. Cherubim, seraphim, and archangels, which are three different categories of angels. They're, they're in Isaiah chapter 6, as, as we're told that, that Isaiah has his vision of the throne room of God. It says this in Isaiah chapter 6, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting, sitting on his throne, and the train of his rope filled the temple. And then we're told that also he saw two cherubim, two seraphim, I believe it is. And, and, and seraphim really it means burning ones and we're told that they had six wings with, with two wings that covered their face with two, with two wings that covered their body and with the other two wings they were flying but that word seraphim means burning ones right and so the Bible talks about three types of, of angels and, and Moses as they were instructed to make the different articles and different things in the tabernacle we're told that in those curtains in that veil they were to sow uh, cherubim in them and we see that this is really uh, it was a picture of the heavenly tabernacle, of the heavenly temple. As we just finished reading through the book of Revelation, we saw that John, he saw a temple in heaven. Right? And that temple in heaven, uh, we're told that there was no sun, but the glory of the light was its sun. And, and as, as John describes all the different things that he saw in heaven, we see that they were a perfect image, a perfect reflection of the earthly tabernacle. And so as Moses was instructed to build this earthly tabernacle with all these different utensils, all this specific design, specific things that he was to use, again, it was a picture of the eternal, of the, of the heavenly tabernacle, of the heavenly temple. He didn't know that. We know it now. Verse 37 says, He also made a screen for the tabernacle door of blue, purple, and scarlet thread uh, made with, by weaver and its five pillars with their hooks. And he overlaid their capitals and their rings with gold but their five sockets were of bronze. And it goes on to say there in verse chapter 37 now it says, Then Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits its length and a half cubits its width. So it wasn't really big. Right? It was maybe like a five by five type of type of thing. It, it wasn't, the tabernacle itself wasn't really big. And keep in mind that you know, it, it couldn't be that big because they had to tear it down every time they moved. We're told that, that, that they would just follow the presence of God. Right? At night time, uh, God's presence would, would lead them uh, in, in, in a pillar of fire. 
in daytime it was a pillar of cloud, and if the pillar of fire moved or the pillar of cloud moved, they moved with it. But when it but when it when it didn't move, when it camped out, then they camped out. They don't know if it was for a day, if it was for a week, if it was for a year, if it was a couple of years. But they stayed, so they, they had a this tabernacle had to be they had to be able to tear it down and build it back up. And so it goes on to say that that he that he put four rings of gold up to be set sat on it. Then he made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. And he put the poles into the rings of the size of the ark to bear the ark. We're told that he made the mercy seat of pure gold. And, and uh, we're told that also that he made two cherubim of beaten gold. He made them of one piece at the two ends of the mercy seat. And one cherub at, the, at, at one side and the other one at the other side. And we're told that the, that the cherubim, that, that they were designed with their wings spread out like this, facing one, each other, one another. Right? And he says this in verse 10. And we'll finish with the last, with these last few verses. And it says that he made the table of acacia wood. Uh, he also made a frame a, 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 to go around it. He cast he cast for it four rings of gold, and we're told that he made pure gold. Um, he, made, he made of pure gold all the utensils which were used in, in, this, in, this, in the service of the tabernacle, right? He also made a golden lampstand. And on the lampstand, we're told that there were four bowls made, like almond blossom, each with its ornamental knob and flower. And there was a knob under each each of these branches. And we're told that, that, that from, each, from each knob and its branches that were made of one piece, we're, we're told that there was uh, seven lamps and its wick trimmers and its trays of pure gold. We're, we're, told that, we're told that they were made of pure gold, right? And again, just this mirrored image of what John saw there in the book of Revelation. There even in the first chapters, in, 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 in chapter 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, we're told that John, as he sees the throne of God, we're told that he sees behind him a golden lampstand, right, with seven lamps. Man, amazing. And then we're told about the altar of incense, there in 20, verse 25, we're told that he made the, the incense altar of acacia wood, its length was a cubit, and with a cubit, it was a square. And we're told that, uh, that he overlaid it with pure gold. It's topped, it's sides all around, but the horns were, were all made of, of pure gold. Uh, we're told that it had two rings of gold under it uh, for its molding. And, and we're told that, 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 the, that, the poles, that there was poles of acacia wood that were to go through these rings that would hold it up. And then verse 29, it says, He also made the holy anointing oil and the pure incense of sweet spices according to the work of the perfumer. And so within this tabernacle and within all the things that they would offer to the Lord, they would offer also this, this sacrifice of, of pure incense. And, and the idea is this. I don't really like the smell of incense. Uh, well, at least the ones that we have now. I hate that smell. Uh, we walk through those botanicas and all those other places. And man, it just, it just gives me the creeps. I just don't like the smell of it. But, but we're told that these incense that were used in the service of the, of the Lord, we're told that they were, they were pure incense of sweet spices according to the work of the perfumer. And this is the idea that as a, as, as a priest was ministering to the Lord there in the tabernacle, he, was, he would light these incense and the sweet aroma would, would go up to heaven. And the idea was this, that it was like the prayers of that, of that, of that priest were going up as a sweet smelling, as something sweet smelling to the Lord. Right? The book of Revelation tells us that, that, that John, he sees, uh, he sees an angel come down with a bowl of incense and he says this, these, this bowl of incense which are rising up to the throne room of God are the prayers of the saints. And this is the, 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 the vision that, that the Lord gives us here in the book of Exodus. Right? As these incense are going up and the smoke is rising up, hey, our prayers made to the Lord are sweet smiles unto the Lord. Right? The Lord loves our prayers. The Lord loves to hear from us. Even if it's just a, Lord, good morning. I love you. 
Lord, uh, bless my brother, bless my sister, bless my wife, bless my coworkers. Lord, uh, bless my day today. Lord, uh, uh, thank you for your for your sacrifice on the cross. Lord, thank you for your son. Lord, thank you for the blood. Lord, just even, Lord, thank you for your word. The Lord loves to communicate with you. The Lord loves when you pray to him. It's actually like a sweet-smelling aroma unto him. It's an awesome encouragement and when it comes to the area of prayer. It's always sweet-smelling to the Lord. With that, we'll, we'll, we'll end right there. We'll pick it up next week where, where in chapter 38 and, uh, and probably finish the whole book of, of, uh, of Exodus. And so, Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would just bless my brothers and sisters here tonight, Lord. Really, Lord, that you would really cause us to, to have a heart check, Lord. And, and, and just thank you so much for everything that we went through tonight, Lord, and, and the reading of your word, Lord. How, Lord, I want to just thank you for that boldness and that hope, like Paul says, that hope that we now have, Lord, because we can come to you with unveiled faces, Lord. Why? Because we know that the glory of this new covenant, this covenant made by blood, doesn't fade away. It's something eternal. It's something perfect, Lord. It's something that, that you've given to us, Lord, uh, by your grace and by your mercy, Lord. It's not something that we can buy or retain ourselves, but that we even deserve. But, Lord, because you love us so much, Lord, you've given us this new ministry, Lord, this new covenant, which doesn't fade away. And we thank you for that, Lord. I want to pray for anyone here, Lord, uh, feeling condemned tonight. I pray that you would give them goals. I want to pray for anyone here feeling, uh, uh, Lord, like, like they failed you. I want to pray for boldness. I want to pray for anyone here tonight, Lord, who's maybe feeling like they're far away from you. Lord, I want to pray for boldness. Boldness to come to your throne. To that throne of grace, to find mercy in time of help, in time of need. So bless my brothers and sisters, Lord. Bless our intentions to sit with you, Lord. And help us to just, uh, Lord, to love you, Lord, like, like, like you deserve it, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you, Lord.